pleasure to introduce our speaker this morning, who may be familiar to many of you. Young Ki Kim has been with us uh, at the river throughout this ministry year as our ministry apprentice, as he finishes up his seminary work. And uh, I know we're rounding the corner toward the end, though we, we still have a couple months. Um, but before uh, we launch Young Ki out of here, we certainly wanted to give him a chance to bring his teaching gift um, wrapped with his heart for Jesus to us as a community. And this morning is that opportunity. I um, want to just say a word about my appreciation for Young Ki as I have gotten to work alongside him over these nine, ten months or so. Um, I experience Young Ki to be a learner. Um, that is really the intention of his ministry apprenticeship here with us, to, to learn from our community how it is that we operate and how it is that we follow God together. But you could have that assignment and not really be a learner. And I have appreciated how Young Ki has come among us as a learner, um, and core among that is bringing his curiosity Yunki asks wonderful questions about why we do what we do, how that reflects the nature of God and the gospel. Um, and accompanying all of that, I experience Yunki to be both warm-hearted and deeply thoughtful. And so all of those things make me really look forward to what God will bring to us through Yunki this morning. So would you welcome with me Yunki Kim? Thanks, Michelle, for those kind, kind words. Um, good morning. And it's my turn now to welcome you to our Palm Sunday service. Um, if we haven't met, as we've heard, my name is Young Ki Kim, and I'm the ministry apprentice here. Uh, like Michelle said, I've been here for six months already. Uh, time flies when you're having a good time. Uh, and I have two more, roughly two and a half months through June. Um, so just a quick word of thanks for your hospitality and welcoming me and my family uh, who've been with us uh, this past six months. Um, anyway, I get the great privilege of uh, bringing the word to y'all this morning. Um, and I thought, since this is my first time preaching here on Sunday, that I'd give you a little bit of background information about myself. thought it might be helpful uh, before you hear from me. Um, so I grew up in the Pacific Northwest um, in a small town just outside of Seattle. So my uh, sports rooting uh, foundations are all rooted in Seattle teams. We lost our basketball team quite a while ago. Um, so now I root for the Warriors, which is convenient. Um, I was a pastor's kid, uh, which meant a couple things. One, church was a part of just life, part of my weekly, sometimes daily rhythms of things. Um, and it was also meant that I moved a lot. So I was born in Idaho. It's a fun fact. Um, then I moved to uh, Seattle, grew up there uh, through my student years, and then finally moved to the Bay Area. Uh, my wife and I have been married for almost 17 years. Um, and we, along with our two girls, uh, Issa and Avery, live in San Francisco. So we've been doing a little 280 commute for the last six months. And it's not been terrible. It's been okay. So one fun fact about me. <clears throat> I love watching rockumentaries. Rockumentaries. So documentaries about rock bands or musicians. Um, 
I think they're great because typically you only get to see this, the shiny side of artists, singers, musicians, the presentable side, typically. So it's fascinating to see what goes on behind the scenes. How songs came to be, the inner tensions amongst band members, because there's always inner tensions amongst band members. Right, Kevin? So, anyway, one such rockumentary that really caught my attention recently uh, is about the band U2. Uh, for those of you guys who have not heard of U2, there might be some of you, uh, it's a rock band from Ireland. A rock band from Ireland. They've been around a while. And I'm a child of the 80s and early 90s. Um, and so they were all over the place. They were like part of the soundtrack of my growing up years. Uh, there was their songs were on TV, on the radio. Um, we had something called mixed tapes back then when you would create these tapes of different songs and give them to friends. Um, and they were always typically on those as well. Um, real quick note, not to make anyone feel old, you know they've been around for almost 50 years. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely makes you feel old. So, what was really intriguing about this documentary is that for this project, they reimagined a handful of their songs, different arrangements, different lyrics written for their kind of classic, their hits. And this included their 1983 song, Sunday, Bloody Sunday, which for some of you may know this already, uh, it's about an incident in 1972, so even going further back. At the height of tensions in Northern Ireland, where British soldiers um, opened fire on unarmed Irish civilian protesters, killing 26 of them. Now, if you remember, for those of you, the original opened with a driving, almost militaristic drumbeat and the searing electric guitar. This new version is almost completely stripped down, just an acoustic guitar and Bono's voice and at a much, much slower tempo. And not only that, they changed the lyrics of the final verse. So the original read like this. And it's true we are immune when fact is fiction and TV reality, and today the millions cry. We eat and drink while tomorrow they die. The real battle just begun to claim the victory Jesus won. Here's the revised version. Here at the murder scene, the virus of fiction, reality TV, why so many mothers cry, religion is the enemy of the Holy Spirit guide. And the battle just begun. Where is the victory Jesus won? So first off, maybe, if you're like me, it's like, eh, not quite as poetic. It doesn't quite sing like the original. Give it a chance. Paired with the solemn arrangement of the song, the revision, it's, it's less of a call to action. It's more now kind of a cry of lament. 
it's marked by this haunting final question. Frustratingly, in the documentary, you're not told why they made these changes to the song. Things in Ireland are significantly better than they've been. But the world, it seems, is even more mired in conflict and division. And maybe you too has just grown weary. Or maybe they're just feeling their age and they can't quite rise up and go into the streets. Well, strangely enough, uh, this all made me think about our passage that I'm going to be preaching out of today. The connection will be clear in just a moment. John 17. In it, we conclude this long section in John where Jesus has been talking to his disciples since chapter 13. In this upper room, Jesus has been talking with them about what's to happen, what's to come. Namely, his impending death. And at chapter 17, we make this strange pivot in some sort. The disciples are still there in the room with him. But Jesus turns his attention from them, talking to them, and he turns to the Father and engages in a chapter-long prayer. Um, it starts with Jesus praying for himself that he would glorify God in all that's to come. He then prays for his disciples, for his Father's protection on them when Jesus departs. And finally, he prays for those who believe in me through their word. That's, that's us, right? Christians throughout centuries all around the world who've come to believe through the testimonies passed down from these disciples. And this is what he prays. I ask, not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who believe in me, through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. That's his prayer for us. Now, um, I don't know if you noticed this, Maybe the highlighted yellow words will make it obvious. There's a theme <laughs> in this prayer. The phrase that they may be one is repeated over and over again. Three times in four verses. And this echoes a prayer he said a few verses earlier about the disciples themselves. That they would be one. But you may wonder, as I have been, Really? Jesus, your final prayer for us is to be one? I don't know about you, but it seems a bit naive to think oneness is doable, especially these days. You look at our world, and we know all this, deeply divided, deeply polarized, that even the mention of certain topics is confrontational. And this is only um, 
ratcheted up by the fact that we're often set up so that we only hear from or talk to people who agree with us. Those around us only serve to confirm what we think already. And as I read this week, we're more valued for what we know than what we can learn. And any curiosity about another perspective is seen as compromise. And I would argue things in the church aren't much better. We're tempted to stay in circles of people who line up with our personal convictions. And don't get me wrong, these are important convictions about how we believe Jesus' ministry on this earth was meant to be and how we're supposed to enact and reflect that. But it seems everywhere we turn in our world or in the church, it's, it's us. It's us versus them. And the line in between is impermeable. Those who don't ordain women, them. Those who are far right or far left, them, them. Those who like white chocolate, them. <laughs> Sorry. Gosh, that had a lot more reaction than I thought. Dodgers fans. <laughs> Dodgers fans are clearly them. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Of all the things Jesus could pray for, why this? If there was a rockumentary on Jesus, would he consider reimagining this prayer or rewriting this? You know, something that could be a little bit more realistic or attainable. Maybe a prayer for the hungry to be fed, or even the church to grow. As grand as those things are, it seems that oneness seems much more elusive than those. So I feel like we have to ask, right? Why oneness? Why is this so important to Jesus? That would mark his final prayer for us. I mean... Wouldn't life be so much easier if we just stayed in our own camps, in our own lanes, in our own tribes? I mean, I like my group of people who think like me. We've got a good thing going. It's a good vibe. Uh, the dynamic is nice. Why in the world mess that up? Why make things more tense than they need to be? In, by including someone who disagrees with us or makes us on edge. And why work towards something that seems impossible anyway? Um, so as I was pondering all these questions, as I've been preparing for this sermon, uh, Pastor Leslie uh, forwarded to the staff team here an article, um, a great article. Uh, it was written from a, an ECC pastor, uh, Julie Chamberlain is her name, and she was reflecting on this very passage in John. And she started off by sharing very similar misgivings about oneness, about the prospects of it seeming really eh, not so good. But she then shared that she began to see this from a different light, maybe wondering if I had been reading it from the wrong direction. Uh, she says this. Uh, she says, this oneness Christ desires for us is not something we create or try to make happen. This oneness is a gift, 
a reality we receive from God. It's a fact. We are one. Now, after I let that sink in a little bit, I came to understand that she's saying that oneness is not something that we strive to make happen. We just tried hard enough. It already is. She says it's like when Paul tells the Corinthians, I don't know if you remember this, he tells them, you are the body of Christ. This is not, you will be the body of Christ one day if you'll only work hard enough and get your act together. Just do better, then you'll be the body of Christ. It's just, you're the body of Christ. And the Corinthian church was, well, maybe even more division than us. Remember, Jesus is not talking to his disciples. Remember in the upper room? He's not giving them a pep talk. It's like, all right, guys, it's halftime. He's praying. He's praying to the Father. He's saying in his relationship with God and Spirit, oneness already exists. And we're invited into that oneness. Um, That's his prayer. He says this again in the the John uh, uh, passage. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, May they also be in us. As we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one. Oneness is not about us aligning ourselves with each other. It's about recognizing how God has aligned himself with us. In other words, it's not about making people more like us. It's about us becoming more like Jesus And the oneness that Jesus opened up to us is expansive. A oneness that didn't wait for the other one to get their act together and come to believe all the things that Jesus did and become acceptable. But one that opens up the doors and lets all the wrong people in. Um, As many has mentioned this morning, today is Palm Sunday. Um, And though I'm not preaching out of a Palm Sunday text per se, it's been read, but you may recall the scene of Jesus entering into Jerusalem, riding not on a war horse or this majestic steed, but on a donkey. And who was he accompanied by? It wasn't the politically or religiously important people. It was all the forgotten. It was all the marginalized. It was all the nobodies, the unwashed masses from the sticks coming in with him. That is, everyone, the important people were trying to keep out. And I think this is a glimpse of God's oneness. It's rooted in God's desire for all to be included, and it's a gift. In Jesus, God has opened the doors for us to live into this life-giving connectedness with him and with each other. Um, So quickly, back to my original question, why? Why oneness? 
Well, Jesus says that this is how the world will know. This is how the world will know that God sent me, Jesus. He says this twice in his prayer. And he says, oneness is the primary witness to God's presence in the world. Secondly, and I think more importantly, oneness taps into our deepest longing to be connected. To be made one with others, restored, brought to peace. And I think all of us have experienced some form of this. The joy of when a broken friendship has been restored, made whole, or the deep grief when relationships have ruptured. In Jesus, our deepest longing is met by God's greatest gift, forgiveness, restoration, renewal. And I think this is why this is the primary witness. Oneness, this is the primary witness to the world because it taps into something that all of us have a deep longing for. Um, you might think, well, this sounds good. Maybe at the 30,000-foot level. But what would it look like in the real world? We know real tensions in our lives, in our relationship circles. Um, many of you know, have heard of Father Gregory Boyle. Um, if you haven't, he's a Jesuit priest, and he serves in Boyle Heights, uh, which is one of the uh, most violent uh, gang-infested neighborhoods in Los Angeles. Um, and after officiating over too, too many funerals for young people in his parish, he started a job training program to provide an alternate path for these young people. And that, over the decades, grew into what's now known as Homeboy Industries. And it's the largest gang member rehabilitation center in the country. They offer job training programs and jobs. Because they found that even if you train them, a lot of people don't want to hire. So they formed jobs, industries, bakeries, silk screening. They provided tattoo removal, psychotherapy services to help these folks leave a life of violence and crime. Yet what Father Boyle is most often asked is this, how do you get people who were once in rival gangs to work alongside one another? How do you get people who've lived their whole lives seeing the other person as the enemy to bake bread together? And he says this, when you work in a bakery, next to someone, and have a chance to get to know them a bit, you can't demonize them anymore. You start to see their humanity. There's no us and them. There's only us. In the end, Father Boyle says, it's about kinship. And if you've read any Father Boyle stuff, kinship is like his favorite word. And he describes kinship in this way. Soon we imagine God in this circle of compassion. Then we imagine no one standing outside of that circle. Moving ourselves closer to the margins so that the margins themselves will be erased. 
We stand there with those whose dignity has been denied. We locate ourselves with the poor and the powerless and the voiceless. At the edges, we join the easily despised and the readily left out. We stand with the demonized so that the demonizing will stop. Kinship is about seeing the humanity in the other person. It's about seeing ourselves in the other person. And it's about realizing that we belong to each other. And I think this is exactly what Jesus' prayer points toward. The kinship and the oneness that we already share. Now, um, in just a moment, uh, I'm going to lead us uh, in a practice that I hope helps us take some steps into this oneness that Jesus prays for. But before I do, I wanted to just give a couple of caveats about this, because I think it's more complicated than perhaps it may sound. Uh, So first, I think the kind of oneness Jesus prays for, it doesn't mean that our distinctives, the things that make us us, go away. Our cultural backgrounds, our racial experiences, our sexual or gender identities, our convictions and beliefs. Jesus' prayer for oneness assumes diversity. Otherwise, I don't think he'd be praying. (laughs) It's not conformity. It's not assimilation. It's oneness. And likewise, oneness, I don't think, means that we put away our convictions and beliefs for the sake of being at peace with one another. It doesn't mean that we sweep our disagreements under the rug. I think that's a false unity that doesn't honor the good work that God is doing in you or in us. But oneness means talking through those disagreements, those tensions, while holding on to one another's humanity. So, with that, how do we make this practical? Well, Uh, first off, I want us to start slow. Um, Maybe not go to the extremes. Uh, Maybe don't start with that far right person or far left person that you know online, you know, the COVID denier or the white supremacist that you happen to be in the same forum with. Start in your own relational circles with people who are near. Probably. You don't have to go that far to find someone you disagree with or have a hard time being around. Who knows, that person might be in this very room. So this is a closing exercise, and um, I invite you to join join me in this. Um, Little slips of paper will be passed out in just a moment here. But as they do that, I want you to do this. I want you to think of a person in your life, in your relational circles, who you are attempted to write off as them. Think of a person in your life who you were tempted to write off as them. Someone with whom you have deep disagreements, just don't get along with. Could be someone you just met, could be someone you've known forever. When this person's name comes to mind, um, I want you to write person's name down on that paper, 
If you want to be discreet, you can just write initials or maybe just the first name. But there's something in the act of writing something down, getting it out of our hearts onto something that I think is important. So again, think of a person in your life you're tempted to write off as them and write it down on the slip of paper. And fold it. And hold it as we think about these other two questions. What might Jesus notice about this person? You don't have to write that down. Just think about it. Or what would Jesus want you to know about that person? Again, just think about that. And the last question, what might be one step you take towards that person? This could be, I don't know, writing a note to them, serving them in some way. could be praying for them. What might be one step you could take toward this person? Um, I'll give you a few minutes um, after I'm done here to continue thinking about that. Um, and as you're finished, uh, I just want you to say a quick prayer for that person. You just lift up their name to God. Um, and when you're done, I invite you to bring that paper up into this vase over by the cross here as an embodied way of taking a step with Jesus toward that person. It could be during this time before the songs start or even during the worship songs. Just come in and place that paper with the name or initials in the vase. Uh, afterwards, for a few minutes, Kevin and the band will come up and continue leading us in musical worship. But as we continue in this time, let me pray for us as we take steps in this. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your prayer, even as we come in prayer to you. Practicing oneness, though it's a gift, is challenging. Moving beyond our walls to connect with others is uncomfortable, scary, challenging. Yet you prayed for us and continue to pray for us that we would enter and experience in more full ways your oneness that you open up to us with you and with each other. For you know that this is our deepest longing. Guide us then, we pray. Walk with us to see that we belong with one another. In your gracious name, amen.